0: From Schwartz Media and 7am, I'm Ruby Jones, and this is The Vote. What happens when the cause you've dedicated your life to turns into something that you can no longer support? That's the question Fred Cheney, the former deputy leader of the Liberal Party, has had to confront this election. And now he's hoping people like his niece, who's running as an independent in Western Australia, can teach the major parties a lesson. Today, former federal politician Fred Cheney on why politicians gave up on tackling our greatest challenges. It's Wednesday, May 18. Fred, you've been in politics for almost two decades, I believe. So what is your assessment of the state of politics in Australia and more specifically, the Liberal Party? right
1: now. Well, I should say I've been out of politics for more than 25 years, so um, since then I've had much less confidence in the leadership. Uh, what we've seen over the last 10 years and more is uh, a lot of a bit of a revolving door of leaders. We've seen a focus on politics rather than on good policy. But I think also at times I've been absolutely shocked by the things that the party has been prepared to do.
0: Mm. And so, as you say, you've been out of politics for for a long time now, but you were the the deputy leader of the Liberal Party in the late 80s. And I just wonder, when you think to that time, how does that era of politics compare to what we're seeing now when when we're talking about the substance of policies and, and the visions that are being put forward?
1: It was actually quite an important time in Australian politics because the thing about the 1980s was that that was a time of change. That was when we moved to a more open economy. And that was something that was done with an enormous struggle. It was difficult. It was politically difficult. It, to some extent, split the Liberal Party. It split the nation. And um, it was a time of genuine political debate. On the social um, policy front, however, it was a quite constructive period. And uh, I like to remember that very difficult issues could be handled outside the direct party political conflict. And I particularly think about 1975, which is of course ancient history to most of the people who listen to this. November the 11th, 1975. 1975 was the year that the Gough Whitlam government was dismissed by the Governor-General. The Governor-General announced that he was dismissing Mr Whitlam and appointing Mr Fraser as caretaker Prime Minister. Very contentious matter. An angry Mr Whitlam responded to his sacking in a speech on the steps of Parliament House. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. So it was a time of high political tension. The party of which I was part, the Liberal Party, uh, had stopped supply, held up supply until the government was dismissed. A future in which Liberal government will seek power and authority not for its own ends, but for the service of all Australian people, their freedom and their dignity. But at the same time in that year, we were able to deal with the most incredibly difficult issues so that... In that year, we dealt with racial discrimination and legislated We dealt with family law and legislated it. We dealt with land rights, a highly contentious issue. And all of these things were done by the parliament being actively involved and by vigorous cross-party and intra-party debate in that way, with the parliament really getting itself involved in a very constructive way.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and so do you have much faith in the Liberal Party anymore?
1: I think I could maintain faith in the Liberal Party while it was led by John Howard. John and I had our differences, at one stage quite significant differences, but I think while he was Prime Minister, I always felt that he had a feeling for the country. He He had a genuine concern for governing well. He had a deep interest in good government.
0: And what about Scott Morrison? Do you think he has a a deep interest in good government?
1: No, I don't. I think the uh, appellation Scotty from Marketing uh, comes into my mind every time I watch him now. Um, It just seems to me that he is prepared to say anything that will give immediate political advantage. I mean, take, for example, just take a recent example. He was ridiculing um, Albanese for the fact that he had a new suit and different glasses. I'm not pretending to be anyone else. We're still wearing the same glasses. <laughs> and, um, sadly, the same suits. I'm the person, said the Prime Minister. You know me. I'm always going to be me. I'm not pretending to be someone else. Uh, people, they might not agree with everything I've done, but they know what I'm about. A couple of days ago, he suddenly found that the me that we all know wasn't very popular.
0: And I know Australians... Know that
1: I can be a bit of a bulldozer. And he's suddenly telling us he's going to change. I know there are things that are going to have to change with the way I do things. And I think the interesting thing about Scott Morrison is that I think he believes implicitly whatever comes out of his mouth. It doesn't matter if what comes out of his mouth was different from what he was saying yesterday or the day before. And I think that leaves me and I think a lot of the electorate with a sense of unease.
0: Mm. And you said earlier that you were shocked by some of the things that the party has been prepared to do. So can you tell me more about that? What were you shocked by?
1: One is the robo-debt scandal.
0: A judge has slammed the federal government's robo-debt scheme as a shameful chapter, a massive failure and a huge waste of money.
1: Now, the Liberal Party is supposedly the party that stands up for the individual. In the robo-debt scandal, you had... All of the might of government being pitched against people who are in very vulnerable positions who are told by the government, you owe us money.
0: Over four years, the scheme issued $1.7 billion in debt notices to more than 430,000 Australians, many of whom didn't owe a cent.
1: It was the most scandalous abuse of individual citizens that I can remember. That was ultimately ended not by the political will of the government, not by the intervention of thoughtful parliamentarians, it was ended because the courts found that it was illegal. There were suicides, people who suicided because it was a disgraceful, a disgraceful abuse of government power.
0: This happened because someone decided to think about numbers over thinking about people.
1: How can a party that says that it stands for the individual tolerate that? Where were the Liberal parliamentarians that stood up and said, we will not support this? Now, that's, I think, a really dramatic example of a a, a failure of principle. On a continuing basis, it disturbed me that um, things like the carport park rorts, the sports rorts and all the rest, where there was blatant sort of seeking of party advantage using borrowed or taxpayers' money that I found quite offensive. And I think the lack of accountability on this sort of thing is a national disgrace. What's happened is that the system's got out of kilter. Current approach is what's the answer that the swinging voter will accept? What's the answer that the focus groups will accept? I got some very good advice from an old colleague, now dead, uh, Jim Carlton, when we were working together on policy matters, and he said, our job, Fred, is this. Our job is to find the right answer. Our second job is to work out how to sell it. But I think that's what's gone wrong. The emphasis now is on what you think you can sell.
0: We'll be back in a moment. Fred, we've been talking about the way that the major parties operate in Australia and what you've been saying is this: there's this focus on selling rather than a focus on policy or on the real issues that are facing the country. And so I just wonder then, what are those real issues, in your opinion? What are the things that you think we need to be addressing?
1: I mean, the really big issues are the... I think on the defence front, we've got uh, lots of words and announcements and very little actually fighting capacity and i think there's a you know a real problem in our defense procurement and um, the issue of climate change that requires a careful long term not political attention, but government attention the issue of the place of women in society uh, including their place in politics but integrity in politics is the thing that's really made me worry about the political system has been the lack of accountability it just seems to me that the system shows an incapacity to deal with complex issues in a way that takes them forward rather than simply papering things over to get to the next election contest.
0: And you mentioned the place of women in politics and that's something that has come up a lot in the past year, the treatment of women. And on that, your your niece, Kate Cheney, has decided to run as an independent in the seat of Curtin in this election. So could you just tell me what you what you said to her when she said that she was thinking about entering politics?
1: Well, I should start by saying I have, no, I have a very high regard for my niece. Um, she's the one with whom I engage most often on matters of policy and matters of what sort of society we should have, what sort of country we should have. And in her whole career she's been devoted, she's devoted attention to that. And when this question came up of her being approached to run as an independent in the seat of Curtin, uh, my immediate response was, well, I really don't want you to do that. And the reason I didn't want her to do it was because... I think politics has become pretty ugly and pretty vicious, and I've seen the way some women politicians have been treated um, on both sides of the parliament, and I don't want to see someone that I really love um, subjected to that sort of treatment and behaviour. However, we had long, very long conversations about this, and in the end uh, we could totally agree on one thing, and that is that the system is not working as it should, Uh, the government is not focused on government, it's too focused on politics, We both could agree that this could not change unless good people put themselves forward and sought change. And she was clearly quite passionate about her determination to do something uh, for the sake of her family, for the sake of her children. And um, she had all the right motivation. In the end, I said, well, if that's how you feel, I agree with you. Only good people coming forward will change anything and I give you my full support.
0: Okay, and so... Your niece, she's one of many independents who are running in this election and I wanted to ask you when you look at this, this swathe of, of independent candidates and all of the money that's being raised and the people who are supporting these campaigns, is this really the best use of people's time and, and their resources, particularly in seats that they're unlikely to win or are there better ways of trying to change the system?
1: I think to try and change the system from within the major parties is very, very difficult. And I think that's obvious from the point of the so-called liberal moderates have had so much difficulty in having a say, if you like, in the way the party presents and the way the party governs. I think the great positive thing about the rise of the independents has been that I've never seen such strong community engagement in the electoral process as I'm seeing today. There's a very different level of individual voter engagement in the process, and I think that has to be very good for democracy. There's a whole group of people who've never had anything to do with politics before, who are now very closely engaged and will, I think, be much more vigilant and engaged citizens than they were before this.
0: And so do you think that that is the lesson, then, that the major parties need to be taking from this moment, that they need to better engage with voters?
1: Well, yes, I think it is. But I think the only lesson that they will listen to is the lesson that they have to listen to. I don't expect a spiritual conversion in the major parties to an ideal of governing well. The only thing that will change the habits and the behaviours of the major parties if they have to depend upon people who are not part of that party system, people whose primary obligation they see as being to their electorates and to the nation.
0: Fred, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Ruby.
0: Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Mementa. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June, Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, a refugee advocate, Shane Bazzi has won their appeal overturning a ruling that he defamed Defence Minister Peter Dutton. Last November, the federal court found Bazzi's tweet labelling Dutton a rape apologist, defamatory, and ordered the advocate to pay $35,000 in damages. But on Tuesday, a full bench of the federal court overturned that decision. And the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, says that if re-elected, the federal government will improve the budget's bottom line over the next four years by cutting spending on the public service. Currently, there's an efficiency dividend that reduces the budget of the public service by 1.5 per cent per year, but the Coalition says it plans to increase that to 2 per cent for the next three years. The Treasurer said this would raise more than $2 billion in revenue. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.